You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you have a Bible, if you'd like to open up to Psalm 85, we'll be in Psalm 85 here this morning. Get to that in just a second. Also, forgot to mention, and many of you already know, there is a potluck happening after the service. Um, so don't worry, if I preach a long time, it'll just be better food. So some of you didn't laugh. You're like, that's, that's not funny at all, <laughs> which I appreciate even more. Um, so this week we're going to be in Psalm 85. Actually, so next week we're going to start a new series uh, in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, excited to get there. We'll be in, in that for uh, the foreseeable future. Uh, we'll be taking breaks in between, but yeah, very excited to get into the Gospel of Luke. Today we'll be again in Psalm 85, this kind of a mini-series, O Lord, Renew Us. Uh, last week we were in Daniel 9, thinking about how to pray for Canada. And uh, this morning we'll be in Psalm 85, the title of this message, Will You Not Revive Us Again? And, uh, well, where are we going? Or, or why are we here in Psalm 85? And I think it, this, this message is flowing uh, out of uh, looking at our world. If you stare and you look at our world, it's hopeless. But then when you look to God, you find great hope and encouragement. You look to the Word... I look to the scriptures, and we see the calling of a Christian. We see the calling of the church. If you learn about the, the history of the church, we, we praise God for where we are today. But as we look at those things, even the passage we read here this morning from Second Peter, that uh, everything has been given us for life and godliness, and I compare what I see in scripture, the calling of a Christian to my own life. And I know I need God to revive me again. And friends, I don't know if you know it, but in Canada, we're actually at a low place spiritually. I I know personally, I need a greater hunger for God's Word. I need more of a desire to pray. I need an increased love for those who do not know Jesus Christ and are far from Him. You know, because at times, it's, it's much easier, right, to just, just go my own way, do my own thing, do, do what I want. And so I pray, oh Lord, renew me again. And I pray that this message will encourage you to cry out the same. And so even before we open up Psalm 85, let me go to the Lord in prayer again. Oh God, you have... I believe laid this message on my heart. You've been teaching me uh, through the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, as it, as it comes out, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that your word would be clear. You'd give clarity of speech. Give me courage. I ask for your anointing, Lord, to speak a word that would pierce our hearts. O oh Lord, I pray again that this would be the cry of many of our hearts. O oh Lord, renew us. O oh Lord, revive us. 
Draw us closer to yourself. I pray for those here today who do not know you. Give them ears to hear, eyes to see their need for Jesus Christ. Have mercy on them. The Lord, use the preaching of your word to make much of Jesus Christ, to lift up uh, his name as we have in our worship, so we will with the word. But God, use it to do your will in our lives. Use it to expose sin. But even as it happens, Lord, use it, Lord, to show again the sweetness of our Savior, the all-sufficiency of we have of your work on the cross. So, Lord, do this now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we uh, look to Psalm 85, if you want to stand with me as we read God's Word together, Psalm 85. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. So again, Psalm 85 The title just taken there from verse 6, Will You Not Revive Us Again? Psalm 85, uh, if you'll notice in your Bibles, it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were just a Levitical choir made up of descendants of Korah. He's appointed by David to serve in the temple to sing songs. So someone of their descendants uh, got together, wrote this psalm. We are not sure exactly when they wrote this psalm. But where we're going this morning, what I want you to see as we unpack this this psalm of the sons of Korah, I want us to see we need to remember God's past mercies to help us seek God for renewal today. And then as we seek God for renewal today, that we'll have faith in God for the future. It's quite simply what I want us to see here this morning. So verses 1 to 3, remember God's past mercies. Remember God's past mercy. So this psalm, Psalm 85, I think it was uh, written in a time where they were looking back. They wanted to remember what God has done to give them faith for today. Look at 1 to 3. They're crying out and looking back. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath, you turn from your hot anger. They were like, they were looking back to a time. God, we remember when you did forgive us. 
And they could be referring to a number of times in Israel's history, because there's so many places. It reminds me of the book of Judges. I wonder if they're referring there. In the book of Judges, much like even in the times of kings, what happened was the people of Israel, they would uh, worship God, they'd be pleasing to him, and things would go well. And then in time, they would start to turn away from God and start to worship other things and kind of start to uh, turn away and kind of be evil in their comings and their goings. They would forget about God. And then God's punishment would come upon them. Their crops would fail. It wouldn't rain. Enemies would start to rule over them. And they'd start to be in this harsh reality, and then they're caught in sin, and then they would cry out to God for His mercy. And the Lord would raise up judges or leaders and, and, and he would bring victory over their enemies and rain would come again on the land and they would start to worship God again and they would turn. But then in time when it was good, again they would drift again and there's this cycle happening over and over again. And so it seems like the writer of Psalm 85 is remembering a time we were in a harder time and we cried out to you and Lord you forgave us. You forgave our sins and, and you brought us back. And they're looking back, reminding themselves what God has previously done. Again, I want you to see there in verse 2, the psalmist writes, You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Friends, we serve a God that is quick to forgive those who would ask for forgiveness. We need to see that here. Even as we look at verses 2 to 3, I think they're ultimately for us, in the time that we live, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It says, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Just think about this. Of course, we sin. We do what's wrong. We rebel against the one who made us. And we know sin separates us from God. It's almost like, I don't know if you're if you're with your spouse or someone you love and you're out and they, they get sprayed by a skunk, just completely, like head to toe, sprayed by a skunk. And they're like, they want to come near you. They're like, hey, give me a hug. You're like, no, not in a million years. Right? You're like, actually, be separate. Be far away from me. You stink so bad. That's what sin does between us and God, only it's much worse. Only that he is a holy and righteous God in any act of sin any sin that we have in us completely separates us from him. But Jesus Christ has taken our sin upon himself. His death on the cross was for our sin and our wrongdoing, and his perfect life has covered over our sin. Right? It says there, you covered all their sin. In Jesus Christ, that is true for anyone who has believed and trusted in him. In verse 3, it says, You withdrew all your wrath and you turned from your hot anger. Again, just think in, in Jesus Christ, the, the wrath, the punishment of God that we deserve for our sins, rebelling against God. Not only that, the punishment that we deserve, that we deserve maybe today, that we will deserve, our sin was taken by Jesus on the cross. So we can stand forgiven, made right with God, the stench of of sin removed, the beautiful, sinless life of Jesus covering over us. I just want to remind you again today, so there's nothing left to do but trust in Christ with your life. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ in the same way that you're trusting these pews 
that you're sitting your whole weight upon it. No one has half a foot. You're like, I don't know if these things can hold me. You're sitting completely on it. That's what we do at Jesus Christ. We throw everything we have. We, we totally believe in him. He will forgive us. He will forgive us completely. So if you're hearing this today and you're like, I, I'm, I'm not certain, I'd say trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. You'll hear throughout this message. It's a turning away from the things you know you've done wrong, and it's a turning towards him, saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to believe in him. Not because of what you've done, only because of what he has done. I pray you would hear this word today if you do not know him. But again, I just want to remind you, the work of Christ is complete. You don't need to beat yourself up for the wrongs that you've done. None, none of us can be good enough to be, meet God's holy standard. We rest completely in the finished work of Christ. It says in the psalm between 2 and 3, Selah. It's like pause, like think about that. Think about that the work in Christ is complete and we can fully rest in that. Selah. But again, I want you to see as the psalmist is looking back, I want us to remember what God has done in the past. Psalm 134, verse 5, I was reading this week uh, through this psalm, and it says this, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I pondered the work of your hands. And so reading scripture helps us to remember what God has done in the past and gives us confidence to call out to him today. So we need to continually, as we're reading through scripture, remember, oh, last week we talked about what God did taking the people out of Egypt we serve the same God. When you're reading through the New Testament, you read the miraculous things that the Lord has done. We're like, oh, we serve the same God today. And again, I, I, I'm putting it in front of you. I think it's helpful to know about church history, to know what God has done in the past. Last week, I talked about the Great Awakening uh, in the 17th century, the Welsh Revival, 1905. And then I, again, I brought to your your. Uh, attention there's a revival that happened in 1971 and started in Saskatoon then it went to Regina it spilled into western Canada again I would just encourage you if you haven't there's a book called Flames of Freedom by a guy named Erwin Lutzer Flames of Freedom Erwin Lutzer you can pick it up for a dollar it's cheaper than a coffee <laughs> like get it on a Kindle and and just work, work through that and I know many of you are like, I don't like to read on a screen. I don't like to read on a screen. But man, the, the times I waste my time on a screen, read about what God did in the past in Saskatoon, Regina. Be encouraged. I just want to remind you what has happened there. This is just some testimonies. Was, when, when God kind of showed up where people were praying, they're seeking the Lord, and there's, there's this the mighty move of the Lord. Uh, Basically, everyone became way more aware of their own sin, way more aware of God's holiness, and just confessing, and just God was doing amazing things. This testimony here says, many with suicidal tendencies, mental depression, strange behavior patterns were completely delivered. Hundreds of marriages were healed. Scores of pastors confessed the sin of pride, self-effort frustration in their ministries, but now are experiencing joy and boldness in preaching the gospel. I just want to share, this is interesting, maybe this is for someone today's, one lady, she had to admit that she was hooked on novels. She had preferred reading them to the Bible. The day after, 
as God met with her and changed her, she went to the prayer room. The day after that, she went and put 200 of her novels in the garbage. It was just this, this move of God there. It was amazing. One writer, Richard DeHaan, kind of just defining what is revival. He said, we shall consider revival as that special season of refreshing when many believers simultaneously experience deep Holy Spirit conviction, causing them to make private and public confession of sin, along with the renunciation of it and the whole experience bearing fruit in the salvation of the lost. Like, let us be encouraged as we we hear what God has done in the past, how he moved and he'd saved so many people and he refined and changed the church and it spread within society. Let us be encouraged as we look back. Because friends, past mercies remembered increases present faith to seek God today. Right? I, I want you to see it like, oh Lord, you did that in the past. You're the same God. You're the true and living God, the Alpha and the Omega. You do not change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I see what you've done in the past, I'm like, oh Lord, give me fresh faith to seek you today. So continuing on, verses 4 and 7, as the psalmist first was remembering what God did in the past, now verses 4 and 7, I believe it's to seek God for renewal. And I'd say seek God for renewal today. Look at verse 4 to 7 with me. The psalmist continues, verse 4, Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Restore us again. That, that word re, re, restore refers to turning toward or turning away from something. It, it, in this sense, it means turning away from sin, this repentance, and turning toward God. But asking God to restore us. Asking like, okay, God, I know I'm not where I should be, but Lord, restore me. So move me from here away from sin, towards you. And again, the, even the cry of saying, restore us, it implies that there's something that needs to be restored, not everything as, as it should be. It implies confession of sin and wrongdoing. Again, the original uh, writers, hears of this psalm, there must have been something in their lives, in their land, that they knew was not okay. And they knew they were being punished by God for this sin. And so they're asking, Lord, restore us. Take us away from what we are focusing on, the sin that is separating us from you. Friends, you cannot ask God to renew you or strengthen you unless you know you need to be renewed. Right? You can't ask God for his strength unless you're like, no, I'm actually weak. Because if you're like, actually, I'm strong and I have it together, you're not praying, Lord, renew me. Just asking, can you pray this? Do you pray this? Restore us again. Looking at at verses 5 to 6, psalmist continues, Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Right? This is a cry in the midst of suffering for sin. They're still walking maybe under the discipline of God, but knowing that God can change it. And so they're crying out to him. Again, just remember, if, if they're looking back to uh, different times of Israel or the time of the judges, that was the cycle. They would like follow God, turn away from him. God would punish them by 
by robbing them of crops, by enemies ruling over them. And as they're finally being oppressed, when they're finally humbled, they would turn like, okay, God, forgive us. God, move your hand, crying out to him. I think that is what's happening here. Will you not revive us again? Think of our society and how Christianity used to permeate through so much of our country. Right? We used to build churches in the middle of communities, and it would be like the epicenter. Everything else would kind of go out from there. But now it seems it's the opposite, that like Christians, our faith is actually being pushed to the edges of our society, the edges of our culture. We are being silenced. Friends, we, we used to pray the Lord's Prayer in schools. Like, it's hard, maybe for even younger people to even imagine, hey, we used to pray everyone together, the Lord's Prayer in schools. But even in that, man, we used to pack out churches and pray. Oh, Lord, revive us. Will you not revive us again? We need to cry out, oh, Lord, revive us again, this this life that we have now is, is not the life we can have in you. We haven't arrived. There is more. Right? Again, you can't say, hey, Lord, Lord revive us again. You're like, actually, we're good. Everything's good. And I'm not saying uh, things are necessarily bad, but I'm like, I, what I read in the New Testament, I'm like, there's so much more in Jesus Christ that he has for us. There is a, a deeper walk with him he's calling us to. There's, I know there's brokenness within each one of our lives. There's hidden sin. There's darkness Lord, shine your light. Oh, Lord, revive us again. Lord, shine your light. We need our hearts exposed. Interesting, Erwin Lutzer talking about these revivals that happened in Western Canada. He wrote this, Personally, I have concluded that one of the reasons for the lack of spiritual strength in the lives of many Christians, is there a reluctance to faith, face themselves and God honestly enough to rectify past wrongs, either by paying for past dishonesty or asking the forgiveness of others they have wronged? Why is there such reluctance? Pride. It takes humility to admit our sins. My prayer continues, Lord, shine your light on our hearts. Again, look at verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. I want you to see that. If the Lord, if he, as he revives our hearts uh, individually and corporately, it leads to rejoicing. It leads to rejoicing. The Christian life is to be one of joy. Just like a question, do you walk in the joy of the Lord? Is it something that's bubbling in you and, and out of you? But of course we know it's like not all of the, of the life is joyful. There are many hard times and trials that we walk through. That's why it says in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. There are times to just weep. But there are also times to rejoice. And you just think about this with me for a moment. This rejoicing comes from abiding in Christ. In John 15, famous passage, Jesus is teaching like you must remain in, in him. 
You can do nothing. We can do nothing outside of ourselves, but everything in Him we can. We can bear much fruit. John 15, 9 to 11, it says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Just hear this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. I, I just love that, that, that promise from Jesus Christ, that as we abide in Him, He's like, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Like today, that we have that available to us. And of course, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. But I, I, so that's part of like, as we're crying out, we're like, Lord, revive us that we would be able to rejoice in you. That we'd be more full of joy. And not like faking it, right? You're not like, yeah, you got like a smile on the outside and the inside, like something else is going on, which we can all do that. But it's like, no, actually God's doing a work in my life and I can't help but smile. I can't help but be overjoyed. It's just bubbling over. Oh Lord, revive us again. In verse 7, kind of this, this prayer, this crying out, just finishes with, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. This prayer, this crying out, is fixed on God. Show us your steadfast love. Again, that's God's loyal love, his hesed, his covenant love. And so when I'm talking about revive us again, it's not self-help, it's not a special meeting, but it's relying upon God to move. Restore us, revive us. Can he do it again? And friends, what would it look like if the Lord were to do it again? I believe the rest of the psalm actually unpacks that. That's why it's like looking back to God's past mercies. Remember that, so then, okay, we're going to cry out to God right now today. Verses 4 to 7, then 8 to 13 is like, if the Lord was to revive us, what would it look like? So verses 8 to 13, have faith in God for the future. I just want to point out, actually, originally my title was uh, Faith in the Future. (laughs) But as I was reading, as I was preparing, I was like, no, no, it's not faith in the future. It's have faith in God (laughs) in the future. That's the thing, right? Whatever is going to happen. And again, my Bible teaches me uh, in terms of end times that it seems like spiritually things are going to get worse or it's going to be, there's going to be a darker time. But also at the same time, God can continue to renew us, revive us, that we would shine a greater light. So don't, don't have faith in the future, but have faith in God for the future. So uh, look at verse 8 to start. It almost begins with this anticipation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. It's like they prayed in 4 to 7, and now there's like, kind of like leaning forward, like let me hear what God the Lord will speak. What will his response be? He will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. And I just want to just point this out as well. Like, we're praying, they're kind of leaning forward with faith. They believe God was going to answer. God's sovereign over how he answers these prayers. But Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
So you cannot pray like, Lord, renew me. Lord, revive me. Revive us. And you're like, I don't think he's going to answer. We need faith. They're like, Lord, you can do it. You're the one who created the, the heavens. You've spoken into existence. You put the stars in the sky. Lord, can you do it? And so the writer kind of goes forward there with faith. Let me hear what the God the Lord will speak. And he speaks of two things. He will speak peace to his people, peace to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly, to foolishness. There's like this picture. There's peace, but if he gives you peace, don't turn back to foolishness. Peace or folly. And the peace he's speaking of is that Hebrew word shalom, right? Like well-being, wholeness, completeness in the Lord. It's something the world just seeks after so much and cannot find that true peace. So that is being offered. But again, there's this warning. You can have one, peace or folly. Peace or foolishness. You cannot have both. And again, we should avoid whatever might deprive, of, deprive us of God's peace. A few weeks back, we had a brother, he preached on Psalm 1. There's this picture of like someone maybe following people into sin and it's foolish. And, and the walk of foolishness is characterized, characterized by selfishness, by pride, by pleasure. Me, 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 me. It leads to anxiety, worry, destruction. It's darkness. It's foolish. There's, there's that way. Then there's the way of the Lord. There in Psalm 1 and even if we were to picture it, it's, it's one of worship. It's one of others before me. It's one of prayer. It's one of being in the, in the Word, meditating on God's law day and night, as Psalm 1 says, and it leads to peace. Peace or foolishness. And I think he even expands on this there in verse 9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Those who would have peace. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The fear of the Lord leads to peace. His salvation is near. God's help. God's hand. Friends, I just wanted to drill down for a moment there on the fear of the Lord. It's such an important theme within the scripture. We need to understand it. The fear of the Lord is more than a reverence, an honor, but it is that. But it's a healthy knowledge that God is God and we are not. That God is the creator and we are the created. That if, if, if like the very presence of God showed up, we would all bow down in holy fear. No one would be standing tall. The fear of the Lord. When Israel had the fear of the Lord, they would live for him. They would honor him. They would praise him. And so they're even, they're acknowledging that like the place they're in, they're, the reason they're there is because they didn't have the healthy fear of the Lord. Job 28, 28, it says this, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord is like, hey, I know maybe that this isn't right. And this is the way I should go. That's the fear of the Lord. I'm not going to do this because I know it's not pleasing to God. And, and understanding of that is to turn away from it. Just a little bit more about the fear of the Lord. Just looking at Proverbs 14, 
26 and 27. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. It says this, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge, a blessing to your family, if you fear the Lord. Verse 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. In Proverbs 15, 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better just have a little bit, but be following in God's ways than have all the world could offer. But friends, I want you to know this. Maybe you already do. The fear of the Lord, it can grow and it can diminish. And our culture, Canada, has lost the fear of the Lord. Everyone does as they think best. No shame, no blushing. Things that were once done in the darkness now are done wide open and no one says anything. It's it's celebrated. We've lost the fear of the Lord. But even as Christians, I believe we can like we can have an increased fear of the Lord and we can also have a dimin- it can start to diminish within our lives. How do you get the fear of the Lord? One primary way is by the word of God. In Deuteronomy 17, 18 to 20, it's written that as a king were to be a king over Israel, he was to be given the, the law of God, and he was to read it every day so he could grow in the fear of the Lord. It says in Deuteronomy 31 that as the people went into the land every so often, I think it was every seven years, they were to gather together where the priest was to read the word of the Lord so that the, the men, the women, the children, the, the people who are just visiting, uh, the, the foreigners, come together so they could learn the fear of the Lord. Even for the children who did not know God, that they could grow in the fear of the Lord. So friends, as we can read the scripture, get to know who God is, we'll develop a healthy fear of the Lord. We need it in our lives. It's actually a blessing of being revived, that we have an increasing fear of God. Look at at verse 9 again. It says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. That glory may dwell in the land. Where the fear of God is, there's a commitment to living for him and crying out to him. Again, this is flowing from a renewal, revival, a place of peace. Where God's saving power is displayed, his glory is revealed. One commentator said, So as we would seek God, as we would fear the Lord and walk in a place of peace, God's glory would be revealed. And that's my prayer, that God's glory would dwell in greater degrees in our church, in our churches. And what I I mean by that is that we would just continue to have an increasing sensitivity to sin in our lives and seek to put it away, but then an increasing longing desire for the Lord Jesus Christ that he would increase. And we would see that in other churches, in Red Deer and other places, we'd pray that, that places maybe who, who maybe started out proclaiming the word and maybe are starting to drift, that the Lord would, he'd have his glory again in our churches and he would draw more people back. He would draw more pulpits back to sharing the word of God and drawing more Christians back to like, yes, 
I can't do anything to be a Christian. I need the Lord's help. And he would change us. He would refine us. And we would be a light uh, to the communities that we live in. That his glory would dwell in the land. That his glory would be in our homes. In our marriages. That, that the Lord would break our pride. We'd ask for forgiveness. There would be love and increasing love for our spouses. Be a, a blessing to our children. And that his glory would dwell with us when we are alone and no one's with us. Oh, friends, uh, do we, we can have a testimony on a Sunday morning when we put on our best and we see each other face to face. We need a testimony when no one's around and only it's between us and God. What is our life like then? God, help us. May his glory again dwell in our land, in our homes, when we are alone. What does that look like? I believe even the psalmist continues to describe what it could look like, a revival, a renewal. 10 to 11, there's a picture of glory in the land. Verse 10, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. This poetic picture, I believe first it's a picture of God, this steadfast love and faithfulness coming together, God's loyal love, God's trustworthy and always does what is true he is righteous doing what is right always in peace coming together meeting together that's god but then as god revives his people as his glory spreads those characteristics are found in them by his spirit those things are found in us and just just think if you look at that list steadfast love like Loyal love, never turning, always trusting, faithfulness, righteousness, always doing what's right, and peace. Like, does anyone say, no, I don't, I don't want those things. I want love I cannot trust. I want people who make promises and don't keep them. I want someone who never does what is right, and I don't want peace, I want chaos. Like, no one's like, no, no, I don't want those things. We do want those things. First, they're found in God. The description continues, verse 11. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. This awesome, poetic, again, picture I think it's almost like a picture of like flowers coming up, the sun shining down, there's just growth happening. But again, it's like God's like nurturing. God's bringing faithfulness up and righteousness. Now, God is the one who's at work. There's fa- it's found in God, but it's grown and nurtured in his people. Again, this is a result of renewal, reviving, faithfulness, or trustworthiness. And friends, I just want to point this out. This faithfulness that's being called to, first it's in all the small things. If you're faithful in the small things, you you don't have to worry about the big things. It's calling as commitment as believers to no compromise. So it's continued confession, repentance, and turning all to God. And I would just ask you, what are the little things in your life that you have not been faithful in that you need to confess before God? What is God bringing to mind? Like no more stretching of the truth. Just telling little, little white lies. There's no such thing. 
I was convicted a while ago, I just want to bring it before you, about borrowing other people's streaming accounts. I was like, oh no, that's not mine. That's not true. Faithfulness springing up from the ground. Sexual purity. Purity of the eyes. Purity of the heart. Only God can do that in us, but I know He needs to. No hiding our faith. Not being ashamed for the gospel. May the Lord do that. May the Lord spring it up. An old saint, Leonard Ravenhill, said this, the church is waiting for the world to become regenerate. The the church is waiting for the world to change while the world is waiting for the church to become repentant. Oh God, do it in us. Look again at verses 10 to 11. I think this perfectly describes Jesus Christ's steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, peace. Jesus, who is always obedient to God the Father, he's always faithful, he always did what was right and told the truth, or so I should say, always does. He is the Prince of Peace. And friends, as we have put our faith and trust in him, and we see our need for God increasing, we need to keep crying out over and over again, Lord, renew us. Lord, revive us. We're, 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 like, we're like, I just got new tires on my car, and uh, they just leak. They leak air. I had to go refill them again. But that's what it's the Christian life is like, right? We just keep like, okay, Lord, I, I'm so thankful I'm forgiven. I'm so thankful you're changing me. And in times I'm like, ah, I'm, okay, I'm just going to start walking this way. Okay, no, Lord, keep renewing us. Keep reviving us. We need more of you. God, help us. But the question is, as we're, as we're crying out to him, do we believe, will he answer our prayers? Yes, I believe. Look what he's done in the past. The Lord is able. And as we see our prayers answered, I believe we'll grow a greater, healthier fear of God and we'll be changed. By God's grace, we'll affect more the person of Jesus Christ. I believe God can do that, that our lives would reflect more of this faithful, loyal love, righteousness, peace. May God do it in us and through us. Do you believe? Can he do it? God, give us faith. Continuing on, looking at verses 12 to 13, almost this this answering the question, can God do it? Look at God's ways. Verse 12. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. The Lord will give what is good. Think about this for Israel, for the writers of this psalm, they were seeking a literal blessing on the land, which they would receive from God as they cried out to him. They would have fruitful crops. They would have protection from their enemies, blessings on their families. As we've been going through this psalm, I'm kind of keep relating that we are seeking a spiritual blessing in our lives and our church that will spill over into our society. God can do it. Because friends, God does what, he gives what is good. James 1.17, it says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Meaning God never changes. He's always the same. And He always gives good gifts. He gives good and perfect gifts. And I, lo- I just want to bring this before your attention too. Psalm 31, 19. Psalm 31, 19. David writes this. Let's wait for a moment for you to get there. Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of children of, sight of the children of mankind. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. God's goodness, God's kindness. Charles Spurgeon said this, Our evil brings evil upon us, but when we are brought back to follow that which is good, the Lord abundantly enriches, enriches us with good things. Right? Like, God, he's so good. He's so kind. And as we're like, hey, Lord, I'm maybe not living how I ought to. Lord, renew us. Lord, revive us. He gives us good things. In verse 13, it continues. Righteousness will go before him and make his steps away. God's ways are found by following him. And God's the one who makes the way. I just have this picture in mind. Maybe it's not for the right time, but when it snows, and hopefully not to December 25th, <laughs> but when there's, like, there's lots of snow and, and you're walking in it, it's always nice if someone else goes ahead, right? And kind of like makes the tracks and you can just walk in their tracks, and you don't have to walk in the snow. God always goes ahead of us, and he makes a way, and we just simply, we need to follow in his way. Follow in his footsteps, just praying, just, just submitting, God, will you, wherever you lead us, we will follow. Wherever you lead us, we will follow. And friends, just in closing, the heart of this is coming from Psalm 139, 23 to 24. And I know I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. I have this burning desire that the Lord would renew us and revive us. Not only our church, but churches in Alberta, churches in Canada. God can do it. And I just want to try to articulate that, but I know it's going to be hard. Because I know God's going to expose different things in each one of our lives if he does, that we need to turn away from and turn towards him. But it's the prayer of Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me on the way everlasting. Like, God, shine your light. God, expose my heart. Expose our hearts. And what we see, we just need to keep confessing, keep bringing before you, keep taking it. Okay, Jesus Christ has paid for this. I want to confess that. I want your peace. If Whatever God is showing, whatever he's exposing in your heart, don't leave this room, don't leave this moment without confessing it before God. Even right now where you're, where you're sitting, just pray to him. Friends, as we follow the Lord's leading, found in this psalm, found throughout Scripture, as we look back to past mercies in the Bible, in the history of the church, 
I, I pray it would encourage us to cry out for renewal, for revival, and that we will see the Lord answer. Will He answer again? And I believe, yes, in His timing, in His providence, in the way that He sees fit. But we can trust that our God is faithful and true and righteous and merciful and will renew us in our churches if we continue to cry out to Him for it. O Lord, lead us in Your ways and not our own. But may our prayer be continually, verse 6, will You not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. May you bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, I pray you would seal this word in our hearts. I pray, Lord, maybe for those who are just being convicted of various things, I pray that right even now they would be able to do business with you. Confess their sins. See life in Christ. Oh Lord, I, in your kindness, may you continue to show us our blind spots. Purify us. And Lord, renew us, revive us in you. That you would be continue honored and glorified, oh Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.